How would you like to do church like Jesus did? Over the past few years, we've learned that church can happen in a very meaningful way outside of a church building. In fact, we're getting raving reviews from our house churches, which are now over a hundred. Though I thank God for churches in buildings and on campuses, God is leading more and more people these days to gather for church in their homes. Not only is it easier for many people to attend a house church, but a house church can offer a level of community that campuses can't. Well, I'm excited to announce that every Thursday in December and January, I plan to host a house church interest meeting on Zoom at 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. If you're not attending a church right now and are interested, or if you know of anyone who's interested, then all they have to do is email us at hcinfo at solidlives.com or click the link in the description of this video. Okay, now let me welcome you to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where we read and talk through a chapter of the New Testament every day. I'm glad you're here because reading God's Word daily will change your life. I'd appreciate it if you'd help others find this resource by sharing the link, and if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Okay, now let's pray, and we'll jump into God's Word. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you that it's inspired. I pray that each person watching or listening today will hear what you have to say to them through your Word, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 7. And another great chapter here, so let's jump into it. Verse 1. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. So you can understand why the people would feel that way if this is a Roman centurion and he has built them a synagogue and loves their nation. But let me just point out something here that God does not heal us because we deserve it, <laughs> because none of us deserve it in and of ourselves. The only reason we really deserve it is because we've received the Lord Jesus in his payment. And once we acknowledge and receive and accept that Jesus paid for our promises and our healing, then we deserve it because of his deservedness, not because of our own. But nonetheless, this is how people pray. People tend to think they can uh, con God or they can convince God, negotiate with God and such. But thank God the word teaches us why God responds to faith. So verse six, then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. And this is so powerful. Lord, just say the word and he'll be healed. <laughs> That's profound. And so uh, he goes on to say, verse 8, For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, 
he marveled at him. And there were only a couple of things that Jesus marveled at. One was unbelief, and this one was this man's faith. And it says, when Jesus heard these things, verse 9, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. What was so great about this man's faith? It was this, I don't need you personally to come and to touch this servant of mine or whatever. If you will just speak the word, I know it will be done. And Jesus said, that's the greatest faith. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to believe that him saying it, his word saying it is enough. (laughs) That's it. Does the Bible say it? That's the question we need to ask. What does the word say? What did God say? Because if God said it, he's committed to it. And so uh, Jesus said, I haven't found this great a faith, uh, not even in Israel. And so verse 10, and those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And let me just stop and say right now, the Lord has compassion on people all the time. Constantly, when he sees people in need, when he sees people hurting, when he sees people that are disadvantaged, oh, the heart of the Lord is to show compassion. And the Lord wants us to see them. And the Lord wants us to also be moved with compassion. And so notice again, verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and he said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Notice him speaking words. I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. How'd you like to be one of those pallbearers who were carrying him? (laughs) And you're holding that casket. And I mean, this man just sits up and starts talking. I mean, uh, some of us would have probably dropped him. But nonetheless, this was uh, the power of God. Okay, verse 16. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report went about, uh, went about, uh, excuse me, this report about him went throughout all Judea, and the surrounding region. Then the disciples of John, talking about John the Baptist, then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now let me just stop and remind you that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was the one who said to Jesus, uh, to the people, about Jesus, pointed right at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He also said, Hey, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal straps I'm not even worthy to lose. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he identified Jesus as that person. Okay, But now he's sending his disciples asking, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? John knew that his assignment was to be the forerunner for the Messiah. And he's just making sure that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, 
Why would John question that? He already identified Jesus as the coming one. Well, you know how life is. You know, time is going on. Jesus is not setting up his kingdom. He doesn't look like he's going to come into power, into governmental leadership and such, which, of course, we now know is going to be part of the second coming, not the first. We don't know that John understood that. In fact, I can suspect based on his inquisition here that he did not understand that. And he was expecting Jesus to really take over governmental rulership like he will in the second coming. So that's not happening. So he sends a couple of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, to ask him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Verse 20, when the men had come to him, Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Verse 21, and that very hour he cured many of infirmities. Let me get my page turned here. Uh, afflictions and evil spirits and to many blind he gave sight many many in that very hour okay verse 22 jesus answered and said to them go and tell john the things you have seen and heard that the blind see the lame walk the lepers are cleansed the deaf hear the dead are raised the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, let me just stop right there and notice Jesus is answering John the Baptist's question, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Are you not the Messiah we thought you were? And Jesus said, go tell John what you've seen and heard. And here it is, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the poor, excuse me, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, Messiah was supposed to come solve problems. Jesus, go back and tell John the problems are being solved. The problems the Messiah was supposed to solve are being solved. Well, of course, there's the whole governmental issue. Well, that's going to be solved in the future. But the personal issues that people are facing, Jesus is indeed solving those. Now, what's interesting is the last of this list seemed different than all the other ones. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The, and the last one, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Instead of the poor have become wealthy or have had their needs supplied. No, they've got the gospel preached to them. You would think, well, the poor got gypped. Everybody else got the answers to their needs, but the poor got gypped. No, they didn't, because here's the key. See, like the old saying, you know, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach him how to fish, you feed him for a life, lifetime. In the same way, but even more powerful. Jesus is saying, look, if I just came and gave some money to poor people before you know it, it would be gone. It would be used, it would be spent, and then they wouldn't have any more. But if I teach them the gospel, the good news, that God is indeed your provider and that he has made promises to you, you can come back again and again and pray, give us this day our daily bread, and God will provide your need like he did the birds of the field. So the gospel is the real solution to poverty and not just money. 
Money is temporary, but the gospel will, I mean, perform. The gospel will provide day after day after day because it's based on God's provision, like he feeds the birds of the world, Jesus said, every single day. So he said, go tell them, go tell John that all these needs are supplied, including the gospel being preached to the poor. Verse 23, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In other words, there are some folks that they're, they're offended. They're not receiving like we saw in Nazareth. But those who are not offended are being blessed. So that's another sign of the Messiah. Verse 24, when the messengers of John had departed, he, Jesus, began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. Excuse me. So now he's going to talk to the people about John the Baptist. And he said this, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. In other words, John was not wearing soft garments. He wore camel skin. You remember that? And so it goes on to say in verse 26, But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Wow, what a statement. Of those born of women, there is not a greater prophet. This includes Isaiah, Jeremiah, Samuel, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, you know, all of the prophets of old. None of them, he said, compares to John the Baptist. That's, that's a powerful statement. Now watch this. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. So it doesn't say John the Baptist is greater. It just says that none of the others are greater than him. There is not a prophet greater than John the Baptist. But, listen, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So none of the Old Testament prophets are greater than John the Baptist, but whoever is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. How can that be? Well, you have to understand that up until this time, nobody was born again. <laughs> nobody was born into the family of God. Nobody was really washed and forgiven from their sins. But very shortly after Jesus is raised from the dead, now we're actually going to be born into the family of God. Of course, John will be as well after the fact. But at this point, even prophets were not born again. They were not really a part of the family of God because Jesus had to pay the price on the cross and be raised from the dead. So he, he says, he who is in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist and, of course, greater than all of those prophets of old. That's us, folks. Thank God. All right, verse 29. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So notice, they were offended, and they were not baptized by John the Baptist, and uh, evidently by Jesus either. Verse 31, And the Lord said, To what shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John, 
For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. So Jesus is saying, look, they found fault with John the Baptist, and he ate locust and wild honey. He never even drank a drop of uh, wine. And he said, and then the Son of Man comes, and he, they call him a wine-bibber and a glutton because he's not on that limited Nazarite diet that John the Baptist was. In other words, the bottom line is they don't want the truth. It's not about what they ate or what they drank. It's about the truth that they preached, and they didn't want it. So he said, the generation that wouldn't listen to either John the Baptist or to Jesus, even though they had two different standards by which they live, not talking about the standard of God, but the specific Nazarite standard that uh, John the Baptist was called to, that Jesus was not called to. But the point is that they didn't listen to either. And so Jesus ends this saying, but wisdom is justified by all her children. In other words, you'll know them by their fruits. So you know that John the Baptist was a real man of God by the fruit of his ministry, and you know that Jesus was a real man of God by the fruit of his ministry, yea, even the Son of God, right? Verse 36, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And when he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat, uh, and he went to the Pharisee's house, sat down to eat, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. So notice he didn't say this out loud. He said this inside of himself. He spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So this man is thinking that Jesus must not realize that this lady is a sinner because otherwise he would shoo her away. But that's not the case. So this man thought this inside. He didn't know that anybody else would know what he was thinking. Verse 40, and Jesus answered and said to him, so this man didn't ask Jesus. He asked, he said it inside of himself, but Jesus answered him, Simon. So here's the Pharisee's name, Simon. Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to pay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Now watch this. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many. So notice Jesus knew it. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Oh, don't you love the Lord? 
Don't you appreciate his mercy? Don't you appreciate his grace, his forgiveness, that even if our sins are many, if we come humbly to receive from him, to bless him, that he freely forgives us. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. <laughs> that a beautiful story. And that particular story about the woman with the alabaster flask of oil is shared in all four Gospels. And in uh, some of the other Gospels, uh, it's quoted that Jesus said, uh, what this woman has done will be told as a testimony to her. And it shows up in all four Gospels. So either by the Holy Spirit uh, alone or these authors that knew Jesus said this, so I need to include it in my Gospel. Either way, the Holy Spirit was involved in it. Well, that's chapter 7, another great chapter. I'll see you tomorrow for chapter 8. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.